Welcome to Theory of Indivisibility, solutions-focused evolutionary analysis of our social, economic, and political systems delivered to you in short, digestible episodes. I'm your host, Dr. Sunjata. What's up, everybody? Thank you for joining me for another episode. Thank you for making time in your busy lives to continue to learn and grow and go on this journey with me. During season one of Theory of Indivisibility, we are exploring the evolutionary origins, current complexities, and how my theory of indivisibility applies to the following social systems. Power over, patriarchy, religion, ownership, capitalism, democracy, racism, and education. The show is now available on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite podcast app. So don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss a new release. And if you like what you've heard thus far, please leave a rating and a review. It really helps in terms of attracting new listeners and helping the show gain more visibility. I want to take this time to thank my new patrons, Akila and Lena. Thank you so much. It really means a lot to me for you to invest in this show. My goal is to not have any advertisements on this show. And one of the ways to make that possible is by using the Patreon platform. So for as little as a dollar a month, um, you know, you can become a patron of this show. And it helps to make this show more sustainable. And it encourages me to continue to put in the hours to produce each episode. So if you'd like to support, please visit patreon.com forward slash live indivisible. I'm looking for volunteers for moderation of a Facebook group for dialogue about the show. If you're interested, please email me at dr.sunjata at gmail.com. That's dr.sundiata at gmail.com. I'm so grateful for one of my high school buddies who has already volunteered to start leading that initiative. And we're looking for some other people to join him with moderating the group. So again, if you're interested, please reach out. In the previous episode, we discussed the evolutionary origins of power over in human societies, and we discussed how that set in motion a trickle-down effect that would cause power over dynamics to become embedded in every social system going forward as populations grew and societies evolved. There were many positives that came from power over systems, like the structure and organization needed to build the infrastructures that growing societies needed to thrive. And there were many negatives that evolved from power over systems that led to various forms of manipulation and oppression for a majority of the people. Both the positives and the negatives of power over systems that began to evolve approximately 10 to 12,000 years ago are still present in most societies today. During today's episode, we will be using systems thinking tools and concepts to analyze and then synthesize the present day elements of power over in an effort to highlight and spark dialogue about the complexities of the interconnections. 
So this is a good time to briefly discuss complexity, right? You hear people talking about complexity a lot these days. And a key to understanding systems thinking is understanding that there are two types of complexity. There's detail complexity and there's dynamic complexity. Detail complexity involves dealing with many items or variables. For example, someone may say that preparing and filing their own taxes is a complex task if they have several streams of income due to the crunching of numbers across the different tax forms that would be needed. Or another example would be like following the instructions for putting together an elaborate backyard playground set for your kid. Um, Or it could be like an elaborate recipe for gumbo with a lot of ingredients Basically, anything with a lot of steps and details involved is considered detail complexity. Dynamic complexity relates to when there is a delay between cause and effect and when attempted common sense solutions do not produce expected results. It relates to when the same action has a different outcome for different people or when the same action has dramatically different outcomes immediately than it does at a later date or when the same action has one set of consequences in one setting and a completely different set of consequences in a different setting. Dynamic complexity exists in all those examples as well. Societies, a.k.a. social systems, are full of dynamic complexities. Myself and other systems thinkers believe that solutions to dynamically complex problems requires systems thinking solutions. Solutions that get to the root cause of the issue and provide insights on how to design new systems where the current problems become obsolete. One of the tools that we will use towards that effort is called a concentric circle diagram. And it looks like if you can imagine a really big circle and then within that really big circle, right beneath that circle is another circle that's just a little bit smaller. And then within that one is another circle, just a little bit smaller and so forth and so on. And each of those circles represents a system. So, for example, let's start by using a concentric circle diagram to put power over into context for this dialogue and to gain an understanding of where it falls within the evolution of natural and human made systems. So first, try to visualize the following concentric circle diagram of natural systems. And I'm going to include it in the show notes as well. So if you have a really big circle, that circle is labeled the universe. And then the next circle within that is labeled galaxies. Circle within that is the solar system. The circle within that is Earth. The circle within that circle is the ecosystem. And then the circle within the ecosystem is humans. Right. So that's our natural systems. And we talked about that in detail in episode two. And we talked about the interdependencies of each system and the unfolding of each system based on the universe being coming first and then the galaxies evolving within the universe, the solar systems evolving within the galaxies, Earth being one of the planets within our solar system. Because when I say the solar system, I'm speaking about ours because there's many and the ecosystem evolving in the earth and then humans evolving from that ecosystem. And each one is totally interdependent on the other. So with natural systems, it is important to visualize and comprehend the interdependence of each system on its subsequent subsystem and vice versa. They are both a part of one another 
and they play an equal role in the survival of one another. For example, humans are both a part of our ecosystem and dependent on the other elements of our ecosystem to live. Our ecosystem provides the oxygen we breathe, the food we eat, the natural resources that we use to build shelter and power machines, and the inorganic chemical elements like oxygen that we use to breathe life. Without this specific ecosystem, there would be no humans. The elements of our ecosystem are also dependent on humans. For example, humans produce carbon dioxide when we breathe, and plants need carbon dioxide to produce their food. Plants then produce a waste product, oxygen, that humans need to survive. This natural balancing feedback loop highlights that we need each other to survive and that no one element in the system is more powerful or valuable than another. The lesson in this is that all natural systems, including humans, are made from interdependent systems and subsystems while also living and playing an active role within larger systems and subsystems. We are connected either directly or indirectly to everything in the observable universe. This also means that you and I and every human are connected and interdependent based on the laws of nature. According to these laws, no human is more valuable than another human. We're simply designed differently because we're designed to complement each other using our innate abilities in a symbiotic relationship with the innate abilities of other humans, living things, and the environment. Think about it. Do trees and plants decide that some animals, including humans, don't deserve oxygen because they are too lazy or poor? I want you to ponder on that for a moment. Now visualize the following concentric circle diagram and human-made systems that represent the systems and subsystems that support the development and governance of societies and cultures. So at the top of the human-made social systems, you have humans, if you have the bigger circle with humans inside of it. And then within that circle, you have another circle that represents social systems that are human-made. And then within that, within the social systems, you have a circle that represents industrial systems that are human-made. So that's the concentric circle diagram that represents human-made systems. And I'm going to include that in the show notes as well. Just like natural systems, Human-made systems are interdependent on one another and always evolving. They are a part of each other and they play a role in the survival of each other. Social systems are created by humans as a means of communicating with one another and supporting each other's existence. Elements like language, writing, government, hospitals, and marriage are examples of social systems. Industrial systems are the manufactured material-based systems that provide the infrastructure for our social systems. Elements like homes, roads, vehicles, boats, tools, clothing, and buildings are examples of industrial systems. The human species would not have evolved or survived if it weren't for the creation of social systems like language, writing, and the ability to organize themselves in tribes where each person played a role in the survival and growth of one another. Conversely, these social systems would have never been created had humans not created them out of an innate need to adapt to the survival needs of one another. Social systems and humans are interdependent. Neither is greater or more valuable than the other because without one another, each would cease to exist. It is also true 
that from the most primitive stone-made tools created by early humans to the most advanced machinery and technologies of the modern era, industrial systems were created to meet the developmental needs of social systems. Social systems depend on the tools and technologies of industrial systems in order to exist and express themselves in tangible ways that meet the needs of human societies. Social systems and industrial systems are interdependent. Neither is greater or more valuable than the other, because without one another, each would cease to exist. I intentionally emphasize the interdependencies and the fact that neither is greater or more valuable than the other, because we have all been raised and indoctrinated to be linear and reductionist thinkers, which means that we learn to break the world down into isolated chunks or isolated moments or events. And that means that we also learn to see issues in isolation from their systemic root causes. Basically, we live in a society that addresses symptoms of problems and not causes. Systems thinking helps us to see that everything is interconnected and that our problems are connected to many other elements within our dynamic social systems. There is a wonderful article that explains these concepts in more detail, concepts like reductionist thinking, linear thinking versus systems thinking. And the article is called Problem Solving Desperately Needs Systems Thinking by Layla Akaraglu. And I'll, I'll add a link to the show notes. So I want to pause and check in with you. What comes up for you? What's showing up in your thoughts after I shared everything that I just shared about the concentric circle di diagram, the interconnections, the interdependencies, etc.? Have you had any aha moments? Do you have any different insights from what I've shared? Any varying viewpoints? If yes, please take a moment to share them in the comment section at patreon.com forward slash live indivisible or the Facebook group that is developing, which is called theory of indivisibility dialogue and share your thoughts. Let us know what you're thinking. The next systems thinking tool that we will discuss is called a cluster map. Cluster maps are used to gain deeper insights into the interconnectivity and interrelationships of the elements within complex systems. I learned about cluster maps and concentric circles from Leila Akaraglu as well, uh, the person who I just mentioned in the article reference above. And I'm going to leave a link to her online platform where she teaches all of these concepts. So the way that a cluster map works is you draw a big circle on a sheet of paper and you decide what system you want to take a deeper look at. So, for example, let's look at our concentric circle diagram for human made systems and zoom in on social systems and put that in the middle of our circle. Next, you think of as many elements that are a part of or make up our social systems as you can, and you write them in the circle. For example, here's what mine looks like. I have patriarchy, education, gender, language, legal, power over, culture, religion, capitalism, class, ownership, family, food, race, political, competition, class, financial, communication, power with, status, to name a few. We could stop here and begin drawing lines that connect the elements that have relationships or impacts on one another in some way. But since this episode is about power over, we're going to zoom in further before diving into that part of the process. So let's zoom in on power over. For those of you who may be interested in trying this out, let's create a power over cluster map together. 
So pause the podcast and grab a sheet of paper and something to write with. Now, after you have your sheet of paper, again, the activity goes like this. You're going to draw a big circle on that in the middle of that sheet of paper. And you're going to write power over systems in the middle of it. Then you're going to think about and add all of the elements that have power over and control dynamics in society. This is a brain dump activity. So there's no right or wrong answer. Just write down anything that comes to mind, any element you can think of, and just just write it in that circle. So go ahead and pause the podcast and resume after you've completed this step. Next, you're going to draw lines to connect all of the elements that have relationships with one another or whose activities impact one another in some way. Optionally, you could use different color pens or pencils to create a key to highlight different dynamics. For example, you could use a red pen to highlight relationships where power dynamics are involved. You could use a green pen to highlight economic elements, a blue pen to highlight environmental connections, and a yellow pen for relationships with social impact. After completing the activity, you should have a really messy circle with lots of lines. You should also notice that every element is either connected directly or connected through a common relationship. Now, step back and take a bird's eye view of the chaos and dynamic complexity that you've highlighted on your sheet of paper. The goal is for you to use this to gain insights for a deeper understanding of the interconnections, interdependencies, and complexities within a system. So what do you see? What connections are you making? What relationships are becoming clearer that may have not been so clear before? So I have a call to action. For those of you who chose to create a cluster map, please post a picture of your map to our Patreon page or to our Facebook group, Theory of Indivisibility Podcast Dialogue, under episode four, and include any commentary that you'd like to add. I can't wait to see the different variations and the different elements that you all chose to include in your cluster maps. So next, I'm going to share mine. First, I'm going to share the elements in mine, and then I'm going to share, I'm going to highlight a few and tell you why I put them in there. So the elements in my power over systems uh, cluster map that I included are discrimination, land ownership, policing, standardization, debate, heterosexism, animal ownership, sexism, ageism, human ownership, standardization, uniformity, ageism, marriage, employment, classism, hierarchy, competition, dependency, racism, patriarchy, religion, party politics, fear, capitalism, conventional schooling, social stratification, parenting, elitism, authoritarianism. So so the first one I want to highlight is food. And if you remember from episode three, just the evolutionary origins of power over uh, systems and society, a huge part of that was the control of food. And at the onset of the agricultural revolution, that's what really set all of this in motion in terms of the power over social dynamics. So in current times, the current complexities around food, um, there's just so many um, in terms of, you know, how society has gotten away from local farming and people growing and cultivating their own their own food to factory farming and big business being involved in food. 
And one of the, the ways that shows uh, an example of how that shows up is uh, I'm currently listening to a book called Food. Literally, the book is just called Food by uh, Mark Hyman, uh, who's a medical doctor at the Cleveland Clinic, which is one of the most um, world renowned clinics on um, heart disease and various ailments. And he leads the Center for Functional uh, Medicine at uh, the Cleveland Clinic. And in this book, he sh- he shares how the dairy industry lobbied Congress many years ago to put the whole idea that we should be drinking three glasses of milk a day into the whole food pyramid that came about in the 50s or 60s. And the most recent, latest, and actually for many years now, there's been a lot of data out that states that milk is the cause of a lot of the various diseases that plague society, mainly cancer. And there's he provided so much evidence uh, about this, uh, all the research, all the scientific evidence, et cetera. And if you think about the whole power over, control, power over and control dynamics in society around food, he highlighted how in public schools for many years, in the, and when I was growing up, this was definitely the case, that they have to serve milk at lunch at, in schools if they wanted to get their funding. So think about the power over and control dynamics and the politics that's behind all of that. The next element that I'll highlight is parenting. And we because we grew up in this power over and control, you know, society, uh, you know, parenting, it also trickles over into parenting where I was raised and a lot of the people around me were raised in authoritarian households where our parents made most of the decisions and we had to listen and do the things that they said because they said so. It wasn't really uh, much conversation. It wasn't much, um, you know, we didn't have much autonomy or agency as children. And in a lot of instances, you know, our parents will say that they did this for so that we can be safe, right? And that it's all about learning how to obey authority and so that we can get along in society, etc. I remember growing up, I wasn't allowed to ask why when my parents made a decision I just had to listen because, again, they said so. And this was considered normal. Well, in today's times and how I'm raising my children is much different, but I'll save that for the next episode. But I just want to highlight that there's a lot of power over and control dynamics in parenting. And I know for a lot of you listening, you think that that's the way it should be and that's okay. And parents have authority over children for their best interest and their safety. And I know that this is a, you know, can be a tough, you know, conversation to have, but it's one that I believe that needs to be had and something that, you know, I think that we need to think about and talk about because there's so much, um, so much lost in that exchange, you know, with, with not allowing children to think for themselves and make choices for themselves at a young age. I feel like, uh, you know, we kind of, we stunt their growth and, for those of us for those of us who grew up that way, I feel like our growth was stunted in a lot of ways and we could have grown cognitively in our emotional intelligence and our social intelligence if we had been able to practice the skills of thinking critically and asking questions and asking why and trying things, making mistakes, all within, you know, a safe context, but there was still so much more room uh for growth that could have been had. The next one is debate. So the concept of debate in society definitely has a lot of power over and control dynamics that lead to oppression. And for example, in debate, the whole idea is just winning, you know, in our communication, 
our politicians have debates. You know, these are the leaders of our country and they model for society that the way that you win, the way that you get your way, which leads to happiness and success is to debate and win and make sure that your point of view, um, you know, that your point of view rules. And basically our, the communication um, model and the communication framework for our society is built on debate. So that trickles down into obviously into the hierarchical uh, dynamics or throughout history is the hierarchical dynamics within the workplace, as well as in the household where the skilled individual, the person who could, who was really good at debate, the person who was really outgoing and, you know, extroverted that could explain their points and think real fast on their toes is usually the person that, you know, gained more, more prominence in society and gained more, gained more power. Right. Uh, the problem with debate is that it oppresses the people who think differently. You know, introverted people, they take more time. For example, they take more time to think. They process things. They may think a little slower um, in terms of and not slower in terms of like a deficiency, but they want to take their time to process information so they can give a more measured response. Um, and then some people just process information at a slower rate. It doesn't it's not a good or a bad thing. It just is. And they are um, disadvantaged in a debate-based, you know, environment and in debate-based settings. So debate is, is very oppressive and it allows people to control and, and will power, you know, over people. And it doesn't, it doesn't bring people together. It divides people because in order for you to win in debate, I have to lose. And that right there, it just leads to all types of dysfunction. The next one that, uh, the next element that I want to highlight is marriage. And marriage has several power over control dynamics that lead to oppression. So one of them, a lot of them, we just kind of, again, we just, over time, we just we become okay with it. But if you think about it, um, you know, just the history of marriage, for those of you who, who know it, I won't get into it much here, but it was based in, you know, ownership, land ownership and being able to um, you know, marry someone, uh, a man being able to marry his wife so that when she has children, uh, those children can carry on his name and uh, continue to carry on the assets that that he accumulated, um, you know, over time during his lifetime. And the woman was supposed to take the man's last name. Um, marriage initially wasn't about love. It was about ownership and property rights and things like that. And just the idea of having to take uh, the man's name and, you know, if you think about the vows and everything about, you know, women are supposed to obey their husband, um, you know, and the husband is the the head of the household and various elements like that. um, You know, there's a lot of power over and control dynamics that have led to the oppression of many women within the institution of marriage. So next, I'm going to share some of the connections that I made when I start drawing lines on my uh, cluster map. And I'm going to, again, share all of this in the show notes. But let's see. I drew a line from uh, discrimination and policing. I drew a line from policing and connecting policing and hierarchy. Uh, I drew a line connecting, uh, let's see, racism and classism, racism to fear Racism to to conventional schooling, racism to employment. Um, I drew a line connecting 
competition to capitalism, connecting patriarchy to capitalism, connecting authoritarianism and elitism to capitalism, as well as dependency to capitalism and classism to capitalism. You can see there's a lot that go directly to capitalism. Um, let's see, conventional schooling. I drew a line from conventional schooling to social stratification, um, from connecting party politics to social stratification, connecting elitism and dependency to social stratification, um, and many more connections. For for the sake of time, I'll, I'll leave it there. But again, you can see the connections that I made on my diagram, and, and it's just a start. I didn't finish it, um, but it's a, it's a lot of lines, even just to say that. Um, there's a lot of lines connecting different um, elements, uh, different power over uh, system elements, and there's a lot more connections that I could have made. When I began to draw concentric circle diagrams and cluster maps, I began to think deeply about what I was seeing. And this was many years ago when I first started on this journey and I started to learn about these things. And I began to see clearly just how interconnected, interdependent and dynamically complex everything truly is in our social systems. The cluster map of power over provides several examples of this. When completed, you begin to see how every element is interconnected, either directly or indirectly. You begin to see how if oppression is obvious in one system, that it is also linked to others where it may not be so obvious. These interconnections lead to interdependencies. I believe that these systems thinking tools in this activity can help people begin to get a clearer understanding as to why social issues that oppress so many people persist. The following excerpt that I'm going to read brings this point home. It's from an article about social oppression written by sociologist Ashley Crossman, and it states, begin quote, while some people are conscious of how social oppression operates in society, many are not. Oppression persists in large part by camouflaging life as a fair game and its winners as simply harder working, smarter, and more deserving of life's riches than others. While not all of the people in dominant groups actively participate in sustaining oppression, they all ultimately benefit from it as members of society. In the U.S. and many other countries, social oppression has become institutionalized, meaning it is built into how social institutions operate. Oppression is so normalized that it does not require conscious discrimination or overt acts of oppression to achieve its ends. This does not mean that conscious and overt acts do not occur, but rather that a system of oppression can operate without them once the oppression itself has become camouflaged within the various aspects of society. End quote. So how are you feeling about all this? I know that when I started on this journey of discovering all of this, my cognitive dissonance levels were really high. Like, do I really have to reevaluate re everything that I learned growing up? Like, that's what was going through my mind as I, you know, started to understand and see these things. It was it was it was painful mentally. It was a lot to process. I wanted to run away from it, to be honest. But ultimately, the problem solver in me and the person that truly loves humanity and loves every single, you know, person listening to this podcast and beyond, I felt like I had to do something with this information. And ultimately, that's why, you know, I created this podcast and continue to just, you know, dive into the into the work of of discovering all of this and wanting to be a problem solver. It's so easy to just cope and survive by ignoring things or just keep hoping for incremental improvements. And we can continue to place hope and blame with politicians. Or we can do something radical, 
like work together to create something new, create new systems. Danella Meadows has a quote from her book, Thinking in Systems, that captures what I'm trying to convey. Begin quote, hunger, poverty, environmental degradation, economic instability, unemployment, chronic disease, drug addiction, and war, for example, persist in spite of the analytical ability and technical brilliance that have been directed toward eradicating them. No one deliberately creates those problems. No one wants them to persist, but they persist nonetheless. That is because they are intrinsically systems problems, undesirable behaviors characteristic of the system structures that produce them. They will yield only as we reclaim our intuition, stop casting blame, see the system as the source of its own problems, and find the courage and wisdom to restructure it. End quote. I'm happy to share that there is hope because many people have already begun to use courage and wisdom to imagine and create new systems. And it is that courage and wisdom that inspired me to conceptualize my theory of indivisibility, which I can't wait to finally share with you next time on Theory of Indivisibility. Theory of Indivisibility is written and produced by me. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review it on your favorite podcast platform and share it with friends on social media. It really helps a lot. For show notes and resources, please visit patreon.com forward slash live indivisible. And while you're there, please consider becoming a patron of the show. It takes 20 to 30 hours of research, writing, producing and editing to complete each show. My goal is to attract enough patron support for the show so that I can quit my current primary source of income and have enough time to consistently release shows weekly and do more work that helps to create social systems rooted in equity, sustainability, freedom, and love. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, I love y'all. Peace. Visionary mind frame got me open in the ears. I pause for a second, listen to the words that I spit. So, can you feel it? Lose focus, and you start to see the vibration hitting every nation. Check your foundation, a matter of energy. Got me circling for the world around me. Stand strong, holding the position I belong. Finish clearing the past, and then you move on to a new way to go. You're engaging the flow, the critical mass. Got a brother running so fast, but will I slow down? The wheels and the bus go round and round. Sitting, thinking how I'm living, what the longer now I'm coming to a point where I'm bridging the gap. I reckon living with the interpersonal ethic emerging to another level with my culture open your mind vision no time open your mind to this new vision no time open your mind to this new vision no time open your mind to this new vision no time open your mind to this theme song new vision is performed by Achilles the cosmonaut find more from Achilles the cosmonaut on your favorite music streaming app.